Opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. We are in for a really wonderful show this afternoon, and I just have a quick couple of show notes uh, that I want to uh, shout out. We are now on Instagram. We have a wonderful Instagram page where we are currently um, running a contest where we're giving away not only a free book, it's uh, the book Head Trash, which was written by our monthly contributor, Tish Squilero, but we're also giving away a free consult for one of her disc profile personality tests. Um, so it's pretty simple. Just go onto Instagram and give us a follow, and um, we're going to be giving away that gift to one of our listeners. Um, be sure also to go and check out our website at womentowatch.net uh, to find out who's coming on the show. We have a, an incredible lineup scheduled through May, uh, and you can also tune in and listen to any of our podcasts if you happen to miss the live show. And lastly, I want to give a shout-out to one of our core sponsors, Mount St. Joe Academy. Um, they are holding an open house this Sunday, October the 16th, from 12 to 3. So if you have a daughter who's uh, perhaps in 7th or 8th grade and hasn't decided on her high school of choice, I, of course, as a mom um, of a daughter who graduated Mount St. Joe Academy, encourage you to go and attend the open house. Uh, Again, you can get more information at msjacad.org. That's msjacad.org. And the open house is again this Sunday, October the 16th from 12 to 3 p.m. We have um, a really wonderful guest uh, with us this afternoon, and I'm thrilled to have her. This is a woman that I was fortunate uh, and honored to meet through an organization that we're both affiliated with. Uh, I'll give them a quick shout-out, EBW 2020, and her name is Sherry Matthews. Sherry is the founder and CEO of Heal in Comfort, which is a company, uh, well, she, I should say, created a patented and award-winning post-operative recovery shirt uh, for women who are healing after breast cancer. And Sherry herself is a breast cancer survivor and, and saw a need um, in this particular market and decided to do something about it. So I'm very happy to have her with me this afternoon. Sherry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Susan. I'm honored to be here, and thank you for the lovely introduction. You are welcome, and uh, I, as I mentioned, we did meet through EBW, which is a, a, an organization that's out there empowering women um, in, in all kinds of wonderful ways, and uh, it's it's been a while since we first met, but I was immediately impressed with you and, and your um, in, innovative, I'll say, innovative mindset to um, create something that to me seems so 
common sense and, and necessary and have the company take off in such a big way. So I'm excited to talk about the work that you're doing. But first, I want to uh, give the listeners a sense of you and, and who you are and where you've come from. So I wonder if you can just talk for a few minutes about your growing up years in, I understand you were born in Canada um, and moved to Florida. Um, talk about those early years for a few minutes. Well, um, yes, I was born in Canada, and my parents um, divorced when I was seven years old, and I stayed with my father, and my little sister, uh, Renee, went with my mother, which is kind of unusual, um, but that's just, you know, what you know arrangements they had. So my father really believed he was Steve McQueen, <laughs> and he's very successful, um businessman in architecture and, and building. And so I had a really different upbringing because, uh, you know, it's always that nurture nature question, but he really imprinted on me that if you have a problem in life, you solve it. You really just don't look at that time in the yellow pages for the solution. You actually solved it yourself. And so pretty much anything that ever broke in my life or my existence, he would just say, well, how are you going to fix that? He never just said, you know, well, let's call the, the guy to get him over here. He's like, figure it out, figure out what it is. I mean, he would give me schematics. He gave me, uh, I was explaining to you yesterday that all I could afford at the time was a little 125 Honda CB motorcycle. And unfortunately, I got hit off my motorcycle, so he said, well, you're going to be, you know, using one of our cars now, which is a Mustang Ghia, the one with the velvet uh, seats. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, okay, okay, this is good, this is good. So I get up the next day all excited to get in my car and drive like, you know, super cool in my car. I got out to the driveway, and that car was dismantled. Everything was off of it. It was on blocks. Four wheels were off. The battery was off. The carburetor was open. I mean, it was a mess. And then in the driveway laid a how-to, you know, owner's manual book. And, of course, I freaked out, and I'm like, what is this? And, and it's like, <laughs> did he you do that drive. In the, did he do that in the middle of the night? Yeah, I guess oh so. Gosh. Somewhere wow. where I wasn't, you know, right, maybe I was right. with friends, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like, I had to learn. He says, you don't drive something unless you understand it. Mm. That's really so, teaching the lesson, isn't it? More than just saying the words. Oh, he never said words. It was always lessons. Yeah. I, I, I rarely got a lecture from my father. It was always life lessons, you know, and kind of hard ones, actually. So here I am missing school. Okay, that's not like a great parenting thing, but <laughs> I got the wheels. <laughs> but you I got learned the how to put, put a car together. On. Yeah, he yeah. he showed me how to put one of the one of the tires back on, and I I did the rest of them. He didn't do the rest. He didn't wow. even check my work. He said, "You'll know if he didn't do, do it right." Wow, <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so a- that's the kind of person, uh, you know, my dad that you know that he was. Now my mother. Uh, was a is a humanitarian, a animal lover. She was with Greenpeace. She was on these whalers, that, you know, the boats that would, you know, intervene with the whaling. Um, so I would have to find out where my mother was 
you know, after the fact that she was just over here doing this and doing that. And she went to Woodstock and um, slid down the mud in the rain that you see in the movie. Yeah, it was my mom. And uh, (laughs) so I have two very, very different but oddly similar um, parents because they both had a common core to take care of the planet, take care of people, and take care of animals. I mean, I heard it from both ends. Yeah, yeah. Well, that says a lot about, you know, you and and um, certainly the kind of upbringing that you had, and I would say it wasn't you know traditional um, <laughs> from that sense. Um, tell me, you know, when you when you think back on those those years, um, you know, young girls typically have a mother around. You know, they have that kind of feminine influence. I'll say. Um, what do you think it it did for you to not have that on a consistent basis? Well, in hindsight, well, I remember, honestly, this this is going to sound crazy, but maybe some people out there can relate, but I remember being 15 years old. I had hair all the way down my back end, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember getting ready for school, going to school with almost just towel dried, so pretty much wet hair. And somebody said, why don't you use a blow dryer? And I'm like, what? (laughs) I know people are going to panic and say, no way, that's not possible. Yeah, it was possible. We, it didn't occur a, to my dad. Were you a tomboy? Or, no. No? Uh, well, okay. Yeah, okay, so I don't know what that really means. Well, uh, so you girls know. that think, I don't know what that really means because uh, uh, girls that do everything are sometimes labeled that, but I absolutely um, like you know, being a girl, but I just didn't pick up on the cues, which is like you have to have fluffy, shiny, dry hair when you go to school. Right. <laughs> so, so, well, I, um, when I say tomboy, yeah. I think, I mean, you know, do you, do you I think about myself growing up, I was, I was pretty girly. You know, I preferred to dress over overalls and didn't particularly like to play in the dirt. And I had a friend who was the opposite. And so, you know, I, I, I referred to her as a tomboy. I mean, your dad was instilling all these really incredible um, independent lessons for you. You know, I, it, you shared with me another story about uh, being out on a boat and, and having trouble and being able to fix that boat with a screwdriver. Um, you know, that's not the norm. And I think it's it's actually um, a wonderful lesson and a wonderful way that you grew up, even though it wasn't, you know, the traditional route. Yeah, and I think in this day and age that actually children need a little bit more of learn by experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the boat story you're re- referring to is, well, one of the ones is <clears throat> I asked my father if I could take the boat out um, out in the lake, and he said yes because he had taught me how to navigate and pilot a boat, and I was, you know, 11, and uh, it ran out of gas, and he knew it was going to run out of gas. I could see him at the dock looking at me while my I'm out there like panicking, thinking I need to row this boat. You can't uh, back to the, you know, the uh, dock. And uh, you know, I just went through the steps of what he what he taught me, and I was able to put on the you know extra gas and pump the ball, which is a big part, and get back. When I got back, I was so upset that he let me do that. I was so mad at him. By the time I got to the dock, he was standing there clapping for me, mm. and I felt inside of me, you know, you can do, you know, with the proper knowledge and things, you can do a, 
anything, really. Right. right. And I was so proud of myself, Susan. It was an opposite emotion by the time I got to the to the dock. Yeah. And I think today there's all these uh, helicopter parents, mm-hmm. and they make everything so easy for children. That's right. But you don't yeah. learn the real stuff of mm-hmm. like you know life's hard. Right. And you you got to be able to figure things out. So yeah. anyway. that's right. No, that's a great. Le- we need to be prepared for you know the tough world that that is what it is. So um, mm-hmm. I agree with you. Um, when you so just again for the listeners, if if you're listening, um, you know October is an incredibly important month for for breast cancer awareness, and I want to make sure I give out the call in number. If you're listening and you want to call in and speak to Sherry directly, our call in number is triple eight. 329-3306-888-329-3306. Sherry, before you actually launched Healing Comfort, you spent some time uh, at IBM. And I wonder if we can talk about, you know, what are some of the things, some of the lessons you learned during your career there uh, in engineering, computer engineering? Yes. So thank you. Yes. So um, because of my father's... uh, you know, imprinting, I believe, I, um, you know, I tested into the, you know, top 2% of uh, male and female for problem solving, oddly enough, right? So there you go. Some things that you teach children actually help. So I got (laughs) in a very eclectic, strange little group that were problem solvers. And I was the only woman there. And I had to, my final test after months of vetting uh, and test taking and, you know, really difficult challenges. I walked into a big, huge room with a bunch of uh, engineers and senior engineers, and they're all MIT heads. I'm intimidated. I'm like 118 pounds and scared to death. And <laughs> they said, "Okay, you have." They they had a stapler in their hand, and they said, "You have one minute to reinvent the stapler to get in this group." Okay, so reinvent the stapler. My mind said right away. You can't reinvent something that's already working. That was what the takeaway for that is life. Everybody believes, you know, if it's not broken, don't even think about it. Just keep going. That's where we get in the status quo. So I couldn't think of anything like I had one minute. So 30 seconds went by with my mind saying, this is impossible. This isn't fair. There's nothing to do about fixing a stapler that works. And all of a sudden, I've got to think of something. I've got to think of something. So I actually picked up a coaster. you got to remember, this is 28 years ago. And I put the coaster on top of the little bar that all staplers used to be. And I said, oh, increase the surface area so uh, the people don't get this, because they used to staple all day long, so they wouldn't hurt their hand. Okay. And then, and then all of a sudden I got the golf clap, and I'm like, I'm going to throw up. I failed, right? And then they all of a sudden they're like, yeah! <laughs> and then they're like, you're in the group! And so what that did is it put me in a group with um, all men, um, and we were the problem solvers. We got called in at 2 o'clock in the morning when, when technology would go down, and we were in, I was working in Burlington, Vermont, and in research and development. I actually had projects for NASA and things like that, and it was really all the skill sets of, you know, figure out what's wrong and figure it out quickly. So let me so. ask you that. So 28 years ago, you're working in a sea of men. Um, were, do you, were you treated as an equal? No. No, I was the token girl. They finally let one in. Um, I'm going to say IBM was extremely fair even back then. Mm-hmm. I, I bleed blue still. So shout out to IBM. Okay. But 
you know, they vetted your family, your social life. I mean, it was weird. And, and so getting in there, um, I was, I had to really work. I had to really work hard and make great discoveries to get even the smallest of recognition. And then finally, when you're trusted and you are one of them, then, oh, forget it, the floodgates of support happen. But I think that might be true still for anybody. They're suspicious of anybody that's, you know, might be a token, right? Right, or different, just kind of different from the group. Totally different. Yeah. Yeah, the language had to change when I'm around, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So did did you enjoy that challenge, or or did you feel a little intimidated? Okay, that's what I... (laughs) That was with my dad, so I'm very good at speaking in bullets. Mm. I know man talk, and uh, they have the capacity, you know, uh, not in a blanket statement, but a capacity to really uh, tell me what you are thinking and do it in a bullet, (laughs) (laughs) you know. And so that's what my dad was. Like, there was no big, long discussions. He would give me the time. He's like, I don't understand what you're talking about, and I think we're done until you can, you know. Yeah, the bottom line. Trying to say. Yeah, yeah. The what are line. you talking about? Right, get to it. Get to the point, yeah. <laughs> so that training worked well because I could speak, you know, boy talking. Well. Yeah. Well, let me back up for a second. Tell me how you landed that job at IBM. Um, how did I get it? Yeah. Oh, I got it. Uh, I just switched phones, sorry. I got it through um, just being in school, and um, I was, let's see, I was in school, and we had some people that were coming to interview, and IBM was one of them, and way back then, I knew enough to figure out, reverse engineer, what does IBM stand for, why is it so great, and I just only wanted IBM. So when other companies would come in and talk to us about it, I'm saying, oh, no, I'm only going to work for IBM. And they're like, well, they don't really just pick up people like this. And I'm like, well, I'm, I only want IBM. So IBM actually interviewed me, and they said, we are hearing from other companies that you will not participate with these other companies in the interview. I said, no, I only want to work for IBM. And they're like, why? And I told them the core values. I told them about why I'm so interested in working for them, and they're like, wow, we're going to interview you. Yeah. Well, so, you know, what company doesn't want someone who's fully committed and passionate about working for them? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I believe they were the right fit for me. Yeah. Was Tell me, and, and I'm going back again, I just want to know, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, when you were that young girl with, with your dad learning all those life lessons, I would imagine, in, was it in your mind that I want to work for a company like IBM and be a businesswoman? Or was there ever any other dream? My other dream was to be a physical educator because I believe that when children have confidence in their body, which I did, I was a very good athlete, Mm -hmm. but I was a terrible singer, and I was always envious of people that were musical. But if people are, you know, this is a chariot they ride around in, and if you have confidence in your movement, um, I think it helps everything. And so I actually tested very poorly in people skills. (laughs) Because do you know how they do those profiling? Yes, And yes. the problem was is because I was raised only by my dad. I didn't even have my, my sister with me, and we were always by ourselves solving problems, doing our thing. Perfect for IBM, right? But I've always thought that that's where I would be a great advantage. So the funny thing is when I left IBM and we started our family, my husband and I, um, we've been together for 29 years, uh, I wanted to go into teaching, so I tested into teaching, and I co-founded a golf program Mm -hmm. uh, to reach hardship, you know, underserved areas through the game of golf, 
called the First Tea National School Program. Yes. My best friend and I co-founded uh, that program. And Susan, I'm proud to tell you that me wanting to be a PE teacher has served well because we have reached with this innovative product to bring nine core values, the game of golf, into all public schools so all children can learn. Um, Ten million children. Wow! Wow! And in so that, and I was going to ask you about that that program. Is that that is still running today? You're still oh, involved sure with that? Is. Yeah. That's fantastic. You know, we talk about athletics for girls um, often on the show, and you, you played volleyball, correct? I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just uh, I played everything, actually. I yeah. did 100%. Yeah, it was a great thing. I think sports are great for kids. They and are. And if it's not yeah. sports, it should be music, and it should be some kind of expression. And the fact that they're taking it out of schools really makes me crazy because it's wrong, wrong, wrong. So. Yeah. Well, I think it's mm-hmm. particularly good for young girls to to play sports. I just think there's so. M- I mean, I'm just a huge advocate of you know and fan of sports, and there's so many lessons in it. But I think particularly for besides the fact it keeps kids out of trouble, right? Um, gives them something to do after school. For girls, I agree with what you said about the physicality of it, and and just kind of having that sense that you do um, have control of your body, and, and it gives you the strength and um, I think it's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, I taught in some schools that were very uh, gifted, gifted schools, um, like really gifted, and they had trouble running. They just the 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 brain, you know, the brain wasn't processing the other part of, you know, navigating on the earth. Like riding a, buck with a bicycle was difficult. You know, we're talking like in fifth grade. I was trying to teach them how to balance and how to throw a ball and how to. <laughs> well, so it is necessary. Yes. And I'm going to tell everybody out there, uh, the quickest way to get the the body coordinated is get those little mini trampolines mm-hmm. and let the children um, balance their body as they go up and down on, on the little trampoline. It really helps quickly yeah. if, you, if they have any disabilities or stuff. That's terrific. Do you ever have any um, aspirations to coach? I have like coached for 14 years. I coached cu- uh, club uh, volleyball. Okay. Um, yeah. I would imagine you and would be a phenomenal coach. That's yeah, just my I guess. <laughs> well, I like calling in the minds of the young people yeah. and get the fear out. And when the fear, if you can, I used to call it the reset button. And and this is this is something that I actually use even as an entrepreneur because being an entrepreneur is new, uncharted grounds for me. Mm-hmm. And there's fear that comes, tries to creep in, like, what if you fail? Mm-hmm. You know, what if you've done this much and it doesn't work out? Right. Um, I do reset, reset buttons. It's kind of like, so the child that was on the court and they literally freeze. You've all seen it if you've ever had children where you're like, what are you doing out there? You know how to do better than that, right? Right. It's not their, it's not their physical ability, it's their mental and so these reset buttons, you know, I would give them their own little mantra, if you will, that they had to recite in their head when the fear tried to come in, the negative thoughts. And so, what does that sound like? What is that mantra? Oh, well, for each child, I actually had their own. So I would, I would pick something that was very specific oh, to their right. um, their language, their ways, and, and just think about when they say, I can't do this, you know, I would say, well, you're a Matthews, and yes, you can. Right. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. And it's a reset. And I think actually even... Adults need reset buttons. I know I do. I use oh, mine sure. all the time. I bet. Yes, yeah. yes, I agree. All day long. <laughs> all day long you need yeah. to kind of reset, pivot, and then reset, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, take the shot because you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. There you go. Now, are you, do you, 
you, you have two children of your own. And uh, yeah. were you, do you parent, you know, what's your parenting style? I'm, uh, have you taken on, you know, some of the, the parenting styles from your own mom and dad in raising them? Um, I would have to say yes and no. And this is uh, part of the struggle that I'm just being perfectly honest with you. My dad's teaching methodology was very time-consuming. And I believe the world is almost racing out of control, where parents aren't even having the quality time that they had when you and I were growing up even. Yes. You know, everything's so fast right now. So getting caught up in that whirlwind, I would really try to implement my dad's teaching, but if they were halfway through, I'd give them the shortcut. And that would be um, to solve the problem quicker. And mm-hmm. that's wrong. I'm just saying that was something I'm not really uh, proud about as far as my parenting skill. I was always in a hurry. I was, you know, I was teaching eight hours a day, coaching two days, and raising two children. That homework thing, hello. Yeah, right. <laughs> Each child has three hours of homework and yes, questions after, right. you know, 14 hours of work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little crazy. Mm-hmm. Um Sherry, let's let's kind of jump ahead a little bit and and talk about this is just an incredibly important um, moment in your life. You were 40 years old and you were diagnosed with cancer. And I have two questions. I want to know what what was the very you know this might be kind of a common question. What was the very first thought that came to your mind? Okay, so it's not a thought; it's a feeling. Okay. Uh, when you hear the words, I'm sorry, Mrs. Matthews, I have to tell you that you have cancer. So you hear cancer almost in an echo machine, and then you've heard about this big black tunnel that people fall in of fear and despair. You've heard about it. You've seen graphics where the person's like falling in the big black tunnel or the big hole in the ground, right? You've yes. heard of that. Mm-hmm. It happens. Yes. I had no control over that emotion. Uh, there was no reset button, and there was no bravery. It was just absolutely mind-blowing despair, and all that flashes, almost like flashing before your, your, you know, perhaps as they say, your last breath, your life. Oh, just kept circling around me with my children and my family, my husband, mm. just circling around me like, this can't be. I need to be their mom. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So. It's a feeling, Susan. It's a feeling, it's a feeling yeah. more than it was a word. Would you describe it, you know, as kind of a, a, a paralysis almost, you know, where you're just literally... Yeah, the, when you're falling, it's a paralysis. Yeah. I remember standing up after hearing this and all the blood had lost in my body, like down on my feet, so every step felt like I had cement blocks on my feet. Mm. And I looked up at my husband and he was ghost white, and then I got the woman thing happens. Uh, I looked at him to nurture him, and that is, oh, we're going to get through this. This is this is just a bump in the road. We're going to get through this. Mind you, I didn't really feel that way, but I said that as mothers often do to save their loved ones, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. I'm so mm-hmm. glad he was with you when you got that news. I, You know, um, that's something, you know, that's the kind of news you don't want to be all alone to hear. Um and how t- how old were your children at that time? Well, they were uh, four and let's see, four and eight. Okay. Yeah. And they're so they're young. Well, maybe a little bit older. Um, 
and the last thing I wanted to be after being like a boss in IBM and an inventor and, you know, rocked it out with NASA and came up with all these things is what I considered at the time incorrectly, by the way, as one of the broken people. Nobody at my age back then had this cancer thing. I mean, breast cancer, that was always for people that were in their 90s when their immune system broke. Right. I'm an organic eater, long-distance runner. It's not in my family. I'm about as happy as a human being could be. It doesn't make any sense at all right. that I was going through this. But obviously, I'm a God girl. God had a bigger plan um, for <laughs> this journey I, we call our life. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Listen, Sherry, we're going to take a, a quick break for our sponsors. When we come back, I want to get right into um, your experience going through the treatment and what led you to start this great company. We'll be right back. Sounds good. Thank you, Susan. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography and automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Are you the parent of a daughter in middle school? If so, I must tell you about an upcoming event at Mount St. Joseph Academy on Sunday, October the 16th at 12 noon. As the parent of an alum, I know firsthand the value of their academic excellence, athletic and arts programs. This private, all-girls Catholic high school in Montgomery County provides the foundation our daughters need to go on to leadership roles at top universities and future careers. I know my daughter did. To register for the open house on Sunday, October the 16th at 12 noon, go to msjacad.org backslash open house. And be sure to ask about their financial assistance and scholarship programs when you visit msjacad.org backslash open house. I'm Jocelyn Ewart, founding principal of Entrust Financial in Wayne, Pennsylvania. And it is my pleasure to share financial tips with you during my monthly segment on Women to Watch. I hope you are a regular listener like I am and that you are finding the personal finance tips I provide helpful. Some of the topics we have discussed so far this year are how to get organized, how to help your children learn good money habits, how to create that all-important travel budget, and what steps are needed as you prepare for retirement. Now I have truly exciting news for you, news you can share with your family and friends. As a veteran certified financial planner professional, I just published my first book, Balancing Act, Wealth Management Straight Talk for Women. It is filled with inspiring real case studies to help you and other women move past fear, build confidence, and make the right decisions without financial concerns. Just go to Amazon.com to purchase your copy. And please, write a review for Balancing Act Wealth Management Straight Talk for Women. I look forward to reading it. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. 
I have with me a very special guest this afternoon. Again, her name is Sherry Matthews, and Sherry is the founder and CEO of Heal and Comfort. And what Sherry has done is she created and patented an award-winning post-operative recovery shirt for women. And uh, just before the break, we, we were learning a little bit more about Sherry and her past and her experience, and, and we left it when uh, you actually got your own diagnosis at the age of 40. Um, something I read, Sherry, in preparing for today was that at some point, you know, after this news settled in and, and you had to um, figure out what your next step was going to be, you did say, well, cancer just picked on the wrong girl. <laughs> and, and I love that, and I can so see you saying that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, so tell me, give a little bit of a background on, I guess, you know, the, the beginning of the treatment and, um, and then where, when the light bulb went off for you, obviously it was towards, you know, the end when you were, um, ready to go home, um, and continue your recovery at home. Tell that story. Um, no, the light bulb went off when I tried to make it okay for my husband. The drive home, I was numb. I walked in the the house and my little children were there and that's it. Mama Bear came out and I'm like <laughs> I am going to research this and figure this out. This is uh what I'd like to let your listeners know. I was um I was diagnosed in my left side and I did forty eight pages of research from all over the world. I did cross you know cross-referencing to figure out what is the best treatment for me, independent, not in contrast, but independent of what the protocol was. And I went to the board, I mean to my physician, and I said, I need a bilateral, not a single mastectomy. Back in the days, they did not do that. And their answer to me was, um, no, and we don't take off healthy body parts. Well, that seems logical, right? Mm. That seems like the right counsel to have in this crazy lady saying that she wants, nobody wants more amputation than necessary. I really believed it was a bilateral disease. And so long story short, going, you know, in front of the surgeons, I had to go through a board and, and present my case. <laughs> I had to uh, go to the oncologist and, and state my case. Uh, they agreed. So uh, bottom line is um, I had more rampant cancer in my right breast the undiagnosed side, and I did my left. And so when the doctor actually opened up the pathology, she sat down and she says, how did you know? And I said, you know, sometimes the inner person can just, you just have to listen. You have mm -hmm. to listen to your body and you have to um, follow follow your steps. That's right. right. Not yes. in contrast and not fighting with doctors, asking them questions. That's mm -hmm. what I want to say. So let's say she said, well, that just saved your life. So... Well, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. You know, Dr. Dupree talks about that intuition, that inner voice, you know, uh, all the time. And it's so incredibly important to pay attention to it and not dismiss yep. it. Yeah. And have a doctor that will listen to you. Well, that's right. That's right. Um, I, I think, you know, years ago we were raised to really not question uh, people of authority, and that would include doctors. And today you, you – most definitely have to be your own advocate and ask the yeah. questions. And, you know, if the doctor's the doctor, the healer that 
they should be. Now, they don't want you Googling and bringing 47 pages of just Google crazy, right? That's right. I actually brought some very, you know, nobody has time for that. Right. But I actually brought very specific questions, and I wanted to know why. The answer was no. And so uh, that was just my particular story. So what happened was um, I was preparing for my double mastectomy, and uh, I woke up from this brutal surgery, I'm going to just tell you, it hurts. It's very demoralizing. It's very spiritually attacking because that's our femininity. And, you know, um, you, you look down and it looks like the Bride of Frankenstein. You know, you got these tubes sewn into your body. And anyways, so I brought to the hospital what I believed I was instructed to bring, something big and loose like a husband's dress shirt. Okay, because I don't know, first, you know, whatever. So... The nurse tried to get me dressed, and fortunately, unfortunately, but fortunately, I had a very cranky nurse. She was tired, and she tried to get me dressed. She moved my arm too much. I got sick. She got mad because now the doctor has to re-release me to make sure that I'm healthy to be released. Um, And she says, what did you bring this for? I said, whoa, this is my first mastectomy, Mm. and why am I supposed to guess? And wait a minute, now I'm starting to get mad. I'm like, how come you don't provide something so I don't have to be in trouble right. for bringing what I thought was okay for a mastectomy? Mm-hmm. And she said to me these words, well, women, they've always just suffered in silence. Well, I had the little drop of Blackfoot Indian in me kind of went, you know, like my hair just stood up on end. Like I literally got goosebumps. Like you did not just say those words. Mm. And she got me in the wheelchair, and she put a, it's called a surgical drain in one hand and a surgical drain in the other hand, and she said, all right, hang on to these. They're sewn into your body. And I said, ew, what? I didn't even know what these things were. And I looked, and I'm like almost, you know, not okay. And I said, okay, I need my hands, so what do I do with these? And she goes, oh, don't worry, we give you safety pins. And I'm like, you give me safety pins. That is my post-operative equipment from the mm-hmm. hospital. You yeah. give me safety pins. So I'm like, already, I had like this out-of-body experience. And I said, I will vow to myself to fix this horrific problem. Cancer's hard enough. I don't want to have to be in trouble or have any complications on what to you know, heal in. I was like, break your leg and go Googling for something to heal in. It's crazy, right? Right, right. So so I actually, you know, the struggle ahead of me, and I'm hoping your listeners can take this away, is not surprisingly, I failed home ec. I, I stapled my uh, plazo pants, and I, I, I had to get to a basketball game. And um, so here I am going to have a prototype of fabric and sewing and pockets and Velcro and stuff and I'm like I don't know how to do this so I watched Coco Chanel the movie three times and I said you know what you can be a boss of even fabric because what I was having trouble is finding the perfect fabric I knew it had to be moisture wicking material had to be soft as feathers okay and I said well I better go get this thing called a DBA doing business as $12 at your courthouse 24 hours later, Fox News is like, we're going to run your story. We need you to come in. Um, what? Run my story? What? Wow. <laughs> I don't how have did a they, prototype suit. <laughs> how did they find out about it? 
Word of mouth. I think I told like two people. I'm starting a business to help breast cancer patients. Uh, Blah. It went all over the place. Sherry, did you Um, start this? I'm sorry. Did you start this while you were uh, healing? No, no. This was actually, uh, okay, ready for this? This was 10 years later. I started it when I was healing. Mm -hmm. I knew what I needed, but I... I gave up because I got busy back into coaching and teaching and children okay. and things. Yep, okay. yep, life. And I came into mm-hmm. Austin, Texas, where I'm from, and every mm-hmm. single person I ran to was an entrepreneur. And they're like, hey, I have this cool idea. Can I run it by you? I'm like, wow. I used to live in L.A., and everybody was actors and photographers, and here it's all entrepreneurs. So I'm like, maybe I should do something. So that's when I went and got my DBA and had to make this prototype. So I thought, oh. I just help 100 patients, you know, just 100 patients. Well, the 100 patients has now turned into 10,000 souls. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. That's, and I, boot, I bootstrapped You it. did bootstrap. And, and you know, I, I, I wanted you at some point to, to give the listeners a little bit of advice because I know that there are listeners who are bootstrapping their own business and, you know, what is the – most important thing or lesson I'll say that you learned from um, starting this company. So my, thank you. My, my particular challenge of bootstrapping was, um, you know, I started it with a thousand dollars to see if you have a good idea. And if you have a product that, you know, serves a need or solves a problem, uh, will people talk about it organically? Is there such thing as guerrilla marketing, like just, people sharing. So I set out as a social experiment for $1,000. Remember, I only wanted to help 100 people, right? So, uh, you know, I was cutting out my business cards, like as if I was somebody in college and had no money, but I wanted to start a business. Um, and that was your first so, goal, 100? You said, I'm going to help 100 women. Oh, yeah, that's it. And then yeah. I'm on to my life, you know, yeah, right. getting on with it. Right. Um, so uh, the best thing about bootstrapping is, it becomes you become very um, very dialed into solving problems yourself, which is a good fit for me because of my upbringing, but not always easy for everybody. And to bootstrap something, you have to have your message down, you have to have a platform, and you have to pretty much do it all for free. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> for the, and initially, for sure. Yeah, yeah because right. I feel like I, somebody said, well, what's it, what's it like being an entrepreneur? I said, it's like old man in the sea, you know, Ernest Hemingway. You have the catch of your life. You're so proud. You're bringing it in to feed the village. And all these little piranhas, these little fish are eating away at it, eating away at it. <laughs> Finally, you get to the shore and you got a skeleton, and, you, and then all you have is stories. So when people get into debt, when they're bootstrapping, financial debt, it creates a separate type of fear. I think a really scary fear because when people are in debt, um, you can't be creative. You can't um, can't relax and go in the flow of creativity and what your visions and passions are. Right. So yes. I demanded myself to just roll on my profits. So um, I would just keep on rolling over on the profits. And, and so I am 100% woman-owned business. I mm-hmm. am a certified woman-owned business. My first grant money came from Austin Woman Magazine, and that was, um, you know, I, I'd enter some competitions and try to see if I could win something, mm-hmm. and I did. And when 500 women stood and applauded this idea, I said, oh, wow, they understand this. 
and it gave me so much encouragement. Right. But I took that money that I won and I I filed for patent. Yeah. Uh, because it looked like it was going. So I believe in first to file. Um, so. And, yeah. you know, how important is that? That encouragement, I think, is so important. You know, when we, we believe in something and we're working and working and working and then, you know, we're not where we hoped we would be, but then you just get – it could be it can be one thing someone says to you that says you're on the right path, keep going. Is It's so important. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, Susan, this is where I'd like to give you a shout-out as being a founder of The Storyteller. You know, Women to Watch – is giving opportunities for people like myself, a bootstrapped woman that's turned a, a bad to a good. Mm. You've given me a platform. You've given me a voice that gets louder. And I believe in the tribe of women that will, you know, my vehicle is the voice of the women saying no more safety pins, no more old man pajamas, no more guessing. That's right. This person's, you know, patented, uh, proof of concept of 10,000. Let's get going and make this a... Standard procedure of discharge, just as common as the sling for a sprained elbow. I mean, I'm just trying to crack that code right now. Yeah, well, that you know, I, I, I wrote that down. You know, I want people to know your goal is to make it a standard for every mastectomy patient to go home in one of these uh, Heal and Comfort recovery shirts. And it will happen. It's going to happen, Shari, I have no <laughs> doubt. Um, and we just have to amplify it. And and that's what we do. You know, the storytelling really is to amplify the stories, uh, each person's personal story in order to, you know, help someone else that's, uh, that's listening and, and trying to, you know, do their own thing, whatever that might be. Um, yeah, so I appreciate that. Thank you. And and the other thing is for your listeners is you would think that the proper uh, feelings of having a crabby nurse be all frustrated uh, and say those words to me, um, you know, well, what did you bring this for, would be very offensive. And most people say, oh, that's terrible. And you know what the crazy thing about life is? Sometimes you're most Adverse situations or meanest people can be the biggest blessings because it's not if you just take it in and internalize it and let it hurt you, but you come back with a fight or a solution. Mm, Look so what's true. happened to the this cranky nurse. I want to find her someday. And say you were awesome. <laughs> right. <I hope laughs> you were the listening. best thing that happened That's to me because right. I've helped ten thousand souls now. Right. So <laughs> true. So true. Yeah. You know, it's that old adage. You know, when someone tells you you can't, um, you're going to work even harder to prove them wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. do something about the the situation. So. I've, you know, this particular product is helpful for up to a year. My first testimony that came in was from um, a lady who was like 90, 90 years old, and it's her daughter called and says, I need another shirt. And I'm thinking, because I've only sold about 100 at that time, oh, no, how can that be? She already had this sur- surgery. She said, oh, no, this is what she did to me, Sherry. She's standing over her dryer like waiting for the you know cake to come out of the oven <laughs> and i said mom we got to go we got to go yeah. and this is a year after and she goes i'm waiting for my heel and comfort shirt Aww. and Aww. she said mom you don't need that anymore you're fine let's go and she looked at me and she wagged her finger up in my face and she says you don't understand heel and comfort does Aww. and i went whoa yeah i'm like a blankie you know like <laughs> right. that was her secu- 
That was her security. Yeah. That was, oh, that's that was her wonderful. sisterhood. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's that was so one of my first testimonies. And that, I represented a sisterhood of, I get it. I understand you're hurting. Yeah. And I understand that this is difficult. And, and here's my wrap yourself around in love. Oh. And in, in Nicaragua, I found out that these women were re- cutting their breasts off with a machete and packing it with mud and leaves. And this doctor said to me this story, and I said, well, sir, I'm going to get you 100 shirts, and I need you to you take them over there, and because and, he's going down there to try to help them from stop doing this because they're dying uh, with all these infections and flies and ugh. Um, and I got pictures of these women running around Nicaragua with their in hugs their, from American oh, sisters in the heel and comfort picture yeah. <laughs> in the jungle, <laughs> and and big smiles and thumbs up. Oh, I love so that. He, he, yeah, he would go down there and do proper surgery and tell them not to oh, stop doing this. Yeah, and then he'd wrap them up in the heel and comfort shirt. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Listen, I love I love this so much, and I, I I'm so proud of you. I'm so honored to know you. you. I'm so excited to watch the company grow. And uh, we just have a minute left. I want you to give your contact information so the listeners can find you. I'm assuming it's at healandcomfort.com, uh, but I'm going to be sure. Yep. So right? it's H E A L I N Comfort C O M F O R T dot com. And really, what it is is flowers are awesome, but this gift actually helps the patient for up to a year depending on the surgeries yeah. and the treatments. So I want to be the new gift. There you I want go. to be something that, yeah. Yeah. Susan, I just love you and oh. I just thank you so much for this opportunity. Oh, and, you're so welcome. I, I you appreciate know, you're taking an hour out of your day, Sherry. I know how busy you are and you're gonna go back to a thousand emails <laughs> that you're gonna have to answer. <laughs> so yeah. um thank you so much for sharing your story with women to watch. I, I very much appreciate it. Well, I thank you for what you do and your vision. I believe in you. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll be in touch. I will now. Okay. Thanks, Sherry. <laughs> thank you. Um, we now have, uh, at the end of the show, we have Tish calling in, Tish Scolero, our uh, monthly contributor, who's going to be talking with us about the DISC profile, which is something that she provides through her business, Candor Consulting. And uh, Tish, welcome to the show. Hey, Susan. Thank you. And uh, your guest prior was fabulous. She's very heartwhelming. She, she's wonderful. She's one, another, you know what? Just another example of a woman who saw a need and saw a problem and said, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to start a company. Uh, and she did. And, and it's come a long way. It's funny. I was listening to the tail end and, you know, yesterday, last month we talked about the styles and the one I hit on first was, the D, right? In DISC, it's driver, it's it's resilient, it's innovative, it's a risk taker. And quite honestly, just listening, I, those are all the attributes of the behaviors that you have to have mm. to not put up with what you see you don't like and do something about it. So, right. Right. Um, there's always a there's always a plus to know that you have those drivers out there. That's right. And not always easy to live with. To no, with. I know. But for the most part, we still want them, right? And right. Well, again, as long as we're, you know, the more we know, the more we're aware of it. Um, today you were going to talk about I, you know, I, that particular style. And um, tell me what you think the biggest strengths and weaknesses are of someone who is um, an I. Sure. So when we go through the DISC profile, also your guests should think about Myers-Briggs, Finders, 
all of these behavioral profiles can give you the same information about yourself. It's about self-awareness. So the I grouping is the ones that are usually extremely sociable and engaging, great communicators. They lift people up. They're the ones that are extremely accommodating when it comes to conversation because what they know how to do is have activation with another. They're engagers. They like to socialize to bring people to do things. They're the friends that you have that always can have something to say, always be involved with a lot of different things, and always be very visible about their passion. Those are those eyes. If you were thinking about it in DISC and if you think about it in Strength Finders, it's those that are activators and communicators. They drive results through the emotion of engagement. They like to initiate and they like to get people involved and keep it very um, communicative so that it's a consensus. Now, we learned with last month, you know, you get all the positives to those things, but what does it sometimes do to those around you and even to them? Well, somebody who's overly engaging and overly committing sometimes lets people down because they can't keep up with all the things they've offered to do, the places they said they'd be, the parties that they could all attend. At some point, you realize you've overcommitted. Mm. And so what happens is their overcommitment, which at the moment they meant, and their socialist, their sociability style of wanting to be there is there but they can't always deliver. And in the workplace, they're the ones that always have an answer of why we could do things and get a group together to make it happen. But when they get down to the nuts and bolts and look at what it really requires, they may not have looked at all the detail of what it requires and then can't deliver. And that sometimes creates a challenge. Okay. And would you say that, that sometimes they're not taken as seriously as perhaps someone else? Well, you know, it's interesting. Many times people who are... Always positive, because they're always positive, always looking for the bright side of everything. They could get labeled as overachieving, or you always look at the glasses always almost full. Mm -hmm. And quite honestly, because of that, then when something is happening and you're looking for a gauge from them, do you think we can really do it or not, they may not be taken seriously, because in their eyes, everything's possible. All people are able to make it work. You get a group of people together, we'll always have a good time. So... At times, that alone, because their positive attitude is always the first thought for them, Mm -hmm. they could be viewed as, well, you never look at the back end or the bottom half. Everything with you is always going to happen. What if it doesn't? And their answer would be, well, we always make it work. So tell me, we have one minute left. Tell me how they can change that or what what they can do to to, uh, make that not the case, be taken more seriously. The one main thing is don't change being personable and sociable and engaging, but be a little more focused, right? And I think that's what allows you to pick and choose what you'll commit to, how you'll look at a situation. If you're focused on what the outcome is to be or who the right people are to engage with, you'll probably make different choices than than the ones you would make if you're not as focused. And I think focus is the number one element for that group to pay attention to because when you focus on a lot of things, you really focus on nothing. Right, right. Okay. Great advice, Tish. I'm so glad you were able to join us this afternoon. Where are you today? In Charlotte. In Charlotte. I appreciate you allowing me to juggle you in the airport before I jump on a plane, so thank you so much. All right. Thank you for joining us. uh, Travel safe, and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, that's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. Please go to womentowatch.net for all things related to the show and to check out our lineup. Have a great week.